Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Creative selection by Mark Dykton spinning the hits here. I always get confused if this is the Clash or the Colt, but this is the Clash, right? This is the Clash, yep. Mark Dykton's always on it. Always. Uh, Free agency time. Good morning to you, by the way. 8 o'clock hour here on a Thursday in what looks to be, uh, so far, a spectacular start to the morning. A little chilly, but hey, a great time of year here in March. Not only is the college basketball scene heating up, not only are we just over a week away from St. Patrick's Day, which is always fun, but NFL free agency as well. And those that could stay or those that could go. Kevin, you are... Chris Ballard, and you've got your little grocery cart, and you're getting ready to walk through the different lanes that are the NFL franchises. As you're walking around, you're looking for what position, and you are also perhaps letting which of your products go into the bargain basement bin. NFL's version of March Madness, right? That's Yeah, that's pretty much right, yeah. Um, let's start with their own and again monday starting at noon that is when you will see players agree to terms with other teams you know i say it in quotes legal tampering we know full well that a lot of that already happens behind the scenes did last week certainly at the combine wednesday at fours when the new league year officially begins so that's when you'll see trades become official you know the colts have made trades you know, in, in this week of March before, whether that be Yannick Ngakwe last year to Forrest Buckner a couple of years ago, I guess you got to mention Carson Wentz as well. Um, in-house, Jake, I'm going to read off some of these names, and you tell me anybody you would like to. Are we going with uh, slam on a table, or are we still going with stand on a table for? Stand, stand on the chair. Okay, stand on a chair. Change a be, light bulb for any of these. That could be dangerous. Okay. Paris Campbell... Matt Pryor. Those are the two offensive names. Defensively, Yanni Kangakwe, Ben Banigou, Taekwon Lewis, Bobby O'Karake. Yannick Yannick Ngakwe. You need Ngakwe, by the way. Um, Give me again. Ben Banigou. Okay. Taekwon Lewis, Bobby O'Karake, EJ Speed. Cornerback Brandon Faison and safety Rodney McLeod. Okay. I, I, kicker Chase McLaughlin, I feel like we all can just kind of shake hands and say, you bring him back. I think he has deserved to be brought back and be the favorite to be your kicker in 2023. The first thing that I look at on that list is I don't know there's nobody on that list, Kevin, that I feel like the Colts can function cannot function without. However, there are a few players on that list that I think would be really nice to retain, which then means that in the event of a tie of two guys that are of equal need to you, the tiebreaker would be which has the better chance to be coveted by other franchises. 
Thus, I need to prioritize now before someone else swoops in and takes them away. The only player on that list, there's a curveball on one of them. There's one player on that list that I believe the Colts would have interest in retaining, but I think he, other uh, another franchise is going to come and pay him more money than what his value would be to the Colts. And that's Bobby Okereke, who I think had a really good year and is a really good player. But I could see some other team coming along and saying, we want to make you like a real feature linebacker for us like you were for Indianapolis last year. And for the Colts, that player, if he's back, is Shaquille Leonard. That's the, the, the Shaquille Leonard health is the real trick here, right? And you just can't move Shaquille Leonard. Why would any team Correct. say, oh, yeah, let's trade for Shaquille Leonard? I mean, first off. Well, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is for the Colts, they have to know Shaquille Leonard's availability from a health standpoint right? I, before I, they prioritize how much they're going to give to Bobby O'Karake. Yeah, I, I should clarify. I wasn't speaking to you. I was speaking to – there is some people out there like, you just move Leonard. Oh, yeah, trade Leonard to the Bears. Well, yeah, I mean – I would need every single medical record that you've ever had on Shaquille Leonard if I were going to do that, let alone take on a contract through 2026. So um, I agree with you. I I don't think you have the finances to bring back a Bobby Okereke. When I look at that list, I guess a couple thoughts I have. First off, there is no bigger draft bust in the Chris Ballard era than Ben Banigou. How the hell did Ben Banigou make it to the end of his rookie deal? Yeah, that's hard to argue that. Mark, will you look up when Ben Banigou was picked? I feel like he was like middle of the second round. Now, was he the orangutan pick or was that Grover Stewart? For some reason, Hassan Ridgeway is popping into my head, but maybe Ridgeway was the one that announced that. Um, I kind of forget who exactly. You're talking about the zoo. Oh, yeah. The reference there to when the NBA or the NFL on day three had people announce those at the zoo. Ben Banigou was the 49th overall pick of the second round pick of the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, think about that. That's middle of the second yeah, round, that's... and he was just a total no-show. Would you like to know some names that went after him? Yes. A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, Irv Smith Jr., Mercole Hardman, Paris Campbell, D.K. Metcalf, Deontay Johnson. Okay. <laughs> just to name a few. You're laughing. David Shouldn't Montgomery, we be crying? Terry McLaurin. Wow. That's the loaded 2019 wide receiver draft. Mm-hmm. Isn't Debo Samuel in the second round, too? Yep. He might have been earlier than Banigou, but Now, Paris Campbell, who is another name on this list, Kevin, to me falls in the category of probably has more value to Indianapolis than he does other franchises. Because I don't know what the free agency receiver list looks like, but the Colts need receivers. And they don't really have margin for error to lose any unless there's a big one out there they can get and or draft. Assuming he stays healthy, he was a nice player for them last year. And I don't know that he's going to be prioritized elsewhere, but I would go ahead and lock him in. That was the that was the Rocky scene draft, too. Yeah, well, second pick boy. in the second round, is that oh, right? Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, not a 2019 draft is not... Okay, okay, I think it was their third round pick. He was certainly the best one of that 2019 draft. Not a lot of hits in that draft. Um, yes, I would bring back Campbell. And again, I know it's not a great wide receiver free agency class. Um, I think he complements what you have in Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. I mean, he had over 60 catches and 600 yards last year with really mediocre quarterback play. Um, mediocre is probably honestly a compliment. I am interested, and I, you know, I brought this up yesterday. 
you have multiple head coaches around the league that have history, recent history with the Colts. Frank Reich, of course, being probably the one that you think about the most with Paris Campbell. Do one of them step in and say, boy, Paris Campbell's a guy we really liked when we were in Indianapolis and his health didn't cooperate the first three years. He played every game last year. Do they step in and make a move there? Um, a couple things to keep in mind about the Colts. Right now, around $12 million in cap space. That number can go up significantly when they make the Matt Ryan cut. Uh, they need to do that by next Friday. Now you say, you say when and not if. Correct, when. Okay. Um, to me, it cannot be an if with Matt Ryan, and I would throw Nick Foles into that group as well. Um, you know, Jake, I, I don't know if... So again, $12 million in cap space, it's not the massive amount they've had in years past, but they can make that you know, $17 million when you cut Campbell, that, or uh, when you cut Ryan, that you throw on top of that. I am probably more pro bring back Yannick Ngakwe than most. And for a couple of reasons. One, Gus Bradley's been been retained. He's got a very specific skill set he looks for in the position that Ngakwe plays. I don't see that anywhere on the roster behind him. And I think it's difficult to find that in free agency. The other thing is, I don't think you can take for granted Yannick Ngakwe's rather remarkable availability at that position. Look at some of these names on the list. Tyquan Lewis, Jake. He's the Paris Campbell of the defense. He's had one season in his career right. where he's played double-digit games. Quiddy Pay's missed seven games in two years. Health. Think back to Komoko Ture. Had flashes, but just couldn't stay on the field. Ngakwe has stayed on the field on an annual basis. The back of the baseball card says this. He's going to play 15 or 16 games, and he's going to give you nine or ten sacks. And I know they weren't the most impactful sacks, but at a position where it's difficult to find somewhat quality, let alone quality depth, he's only 27 I would bring him back. You now, want more in the fourth quarter? Yes. But I would bring him back. There is one other player on that list that I think that I could see. Like Bobby Okereke is going to get, and he's been a good player, but he's going to get overpaid by somebody, right? You, you can't get in a bidding war, I don't think, for Bobby Okereke because I think somebody is going to Cato June him which means come in and give him primary linebacker money. I, th- I think he's on Mark's Bears come yep. Monday. I, yeah. I think so, too. I think he's with Matt now, Eberflus. They need linebacker help. There is another player on that list that if I'm the Colts, I slide up in my priority list because I, I grab and lock him in before anybody else comes along because I think if somebody else were to give this player money and more reps, he, would, he can be a good player, and he has the ability to be a very good player as his role elevates for Indianapolis. And that player is? That player, I think we both agree on, EJ Speed. Correct. Yeah. Jake, he played the most special team snaps of any Colt last year And not year only well. that, Kevin, I think that if Bobby Okereke was not there, EJ Speed has shown me enough to be able to say he can be a suitable slide-up third linebacker and he's a little Correct. bit of insurance for Leonard. I am very much bring back. I think Speed is one of those guys Jake, if you have a really good scouting department around the NFL though, you're thinking let's bring him into our system and let's take a chance. Right. Because I think people view linebacker like interior offensive line. The Colts don't view it that way. But there are a lot of teams out there that view linebacker of like day three picks. But we don't need to highly invest at the linebacker position. We can get by at linebacker. And I think another thing that's worth mentioning with Ballard, he has drafted linebacker extraordinarily well. 
all rounds of the draft. Leonard in two, Bobby Okereke round three, EJ Speed round five, Zaire Franklin round seven. He's found linebacker hits everywhere. So bank on that. Bank on him doing that again come draft time. Let Okereke walk. Bring back speed if it's manageable. And then I think you could double back so in the draft. We can agree, though. Do you agree on Ngakwe or no? Yeah, I do. I, I don't think that's entirely off base. Um, I agree on this. Or tell me if you agree, I guess. Faison and Matt Pryor might be looking at buy one, like maybe a buy one rental discount on the second for a U-Haul, right? Well, I mean, Faison, he's got the Gus Bradley relationship, though. I mean... The other guy that I'd throw in there would be Rodney McLeod. I know he's 32, 32 years old at safety. You, last year, you needed him. Nick Cross, yeah. you started week one, got benched halfway through week two. Rodney McLeod played the third most defensive snaps of any Colt for you last year. Um, if they let McLeod walk and they don't make a safety move, that probably says, hey, we feel great about Rodney Thomas II. We feel great about Julian Blackman. We feel great about Nick Cross. Cross, you, of course, would be projecting a lot more than the others. Um, now, now, so with Ngakwe, and I know, and, and uh, this happens a lot on this program. And and I are you going it. back to the joke? No, not at all. Uh, and I understand this. I mean, I, I get that some things. There are a lot of things that that we. I get don't think tired it's your of. best work. People get tired of a lot joke. of different things. And one of the things that people get tired of is when they say, "You know what? I, I that guy was right all along." And you know, and go down to the fourth floor. I mean, they talk a lot about things that that were where they were right all along, right? Um, I know that you rolled your eyes at my you need Ngakwe, but here we are now, and you're saying that in fact they need Ngakwe. So I was right all along with my nickname. My nickname, in my actually, opinion, that sucked. no, not didn't suck at all. Thank you, Jim. But I'm telling you right now, I think actually in reality, what Thank we had there Mora. Thank was you, an Mark incredibly Dyson. creative, off the top, spontaneous nickname. That now all of a sudden you've warmed up to it, you've come around to it, and you're saying to yourself, now, now that what that is is creative. Really looking forward to George Bremer joining us at nine to have a, a good back and forth with him on some of these names. One thing that I will say to George and Jake, we're going to find out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all next week. Has Chris Ballard changed? Has he changed? Do we see a more active first week of free agency Ballard? I've said this all along about Chris Ballard when it comes to free agency. You're looking for a happy medium between Ballard's approach and Ryan Grigson's approach. Grigson looked like he had never seen money before. Spend, 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 spend. I'm going to use it all and boom, you know, shopping spree to the nth degree. Ballard, you know, frugal to the nth degree. When you look at Ballard's first week of free agency history, and that that's when you have the best players available, he's found a Danico Autry. He's found an Eric Ebron. You know, a trade for a Buckner, a trade for a Yannick Ngakwe, using some cap space, using some draft picks, using some players for that. You know, I thought Xavier Rhodes had a nice run here, um, even though it was a short run. I think that's something that you're looking for in free agency that looming question, and it's been kind of an annual question, and now the question is asked after going 4-12-1, firing your head coach, firing your offensive coordinator, and in the most fragile state Chris Ballard has been in from a job security standpoint in his tenure, we will find out starting next week how different he's going to be. Do you think Brandon Faison ever played hockey? Because if he played hockey, I just thought of this. Can you imagine the now? Who's the fellow that played Mr. Miyagi? Mark was that Pat Morita? Is that right? Yes. Is he still with us? I He's don't not, think right? So. No. 
Because can you imagine the marketing opportunity if Brandon Faison played hockey and Pat Morita was there at the beginning of the game, and at the beginning of the game, if he was there at center ice when they dropped the puck, you know what you'd have, Mark? What? You'd have face on, face off. <laughs> he is a moron. What? What, what, what is he or that, I? What, what it should, be, it should be I. I know pronouns are a big debate. Can you nowadays. imagine that? I, I Can you imagine if I. you get Pat Morita out there on the ice at a minor league hockey game saying face on, face off, and then they drop the puck? I, kids we really, flock Zach for miles Zach Oscar big time for this cancellation. <laughs> I'm telling you. Just had to you witness. know, I didn't get much sleep last night. Oh, I can't tell. <laughs> this from Mitch. Love the morning show and love Jake, but the Ngakwe joke is le- legitimately awful. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a, what it is. It, here's what it is. It's a crafty, creative play on words. Like I've had teachers tell me, they, the people have called and they said, Jake, I'm an English teacher and I loved your crafty words because I used it for the kids. I don't have the patience to jack with you today. <laughs> this you. from Scott, I do think this is something to keep in mind for next week. Doesn't the lack of free agent whiteouts mean that we shouldn't overpay for Paris Campbell? I mean, we've seen the whiteout market. I mean, last year, Christian Kirk in, in Jacksonville. I think it probably means you. the lack of whiteouts would mean that you would have to overpay, that you would have to overpay, right? Right, but I think he's saying the market's going to be so robust for Campbell because there's not a ton of them out there. I think you need to bring him back. I still would like to see another pass-catching move. Um, again, I know that's wishful thinking based off Ballard's history, but that's the route I would go. I'm su- very supply and demand would say that that increases his price if there are not a lot of receivers, particularly speed wideouts. I mean, Christian Kirk right. last year in Jacksonville is the example of it. How does the rest of the NFL world view Paris Campbell? I mean, there's mutual interest here. Paris wants to be back. The Colts want to bring him back. I know that, but how does the rest of the NFL world look at a guy that played what 15 games his first three years and then played 17 this past year? Like, do they have the same, you know, health scar tissue that, like, we kind of had with Campbell? Um, So that, I think, is going to be one that, of the offensive guys, he's really the only one that matters. You know, it's the sleep deprivation when the creativity really gets going, right? Like, right, right here. Jake, face on, face off. That was a good one. These guys don't deserve you. See? Exactly. Oh, well, if the you'd under- like to leave, go right ahead. <laughs> the under- Shannon Walsh texted <laughs> Jake that. Scott Agnes going to join us in 10. Uh, Pacers and Rockets tonight, nine and a half point favorite for the Pacers as they go for the win that Kevin Bowen's been waiting for to try and bet on the Players' Championship. Mark, you got a Players' Championship pick this week? I said uh, Xander. Xander? Yeah. I like it. Jake, you got a Players' Champion pick? Hmm. <laughs> That's a no. Hmm. How about that? Uh, they got the suspenders on. Well, I can never remember who's in the live stuff now. Uh, what about the... Justin Rose. Is he still around? No, Justin Rose I thought would be a live candidate, but um, I, boy, he's not on live, but I'm thinking to myself, is he even qualified? For I was going to say. Okay, how about I'm going the, with the fiery Terrell Hatton. Not off to a great start, but Terrell Hatton is the pick this week. Sergio Garcia. Uh, certainly live. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How about that uh, Oosthuizen? Sergio's peak live. Oosthuizen on live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a poster child. No, I'm aware. Uh, How Masters, about that Greg Norman fella? Sevy Ballesteros. Yeah, I'm afraid. Six feet under. Old Sevy. Anyway. Basically, don't take Jake. Who's back. the fella whose family all hates him? Aaron Rodgers. Besides uh, <laughs> Thank him. you. Uh, ding. Uh, Patrick <laughs> the, Reed. Yeah, Patrick Reed. Yeah, uh-huh. is he? Where is he? Oh boy, he is live. He's, de- he's got live written all over him. Branded <laughs> uh, tramp stamp, I believe, on the lower back for old okay. Patrick Reed. Dustin Johnson. He's over on the live side too, right? Is there anybody left? I think Dustin's enjoying the significant other. 
Woo! Picturing Scott Agnes walking to his media seat with this. Scott, we saw on Monday night, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files joins us. We saw Will Farrell, 50 Cent in the building. For those that might have missed that, could you explain why those two were, for different reasons, in the building on Monday? <laughs> yeah, but combined and, and plus Reggie Wayne and, and Pittman Jr. made for kind of felt like a different scene than we're used to, higher stakes game. Uh, than we're used to, but Will Farrell was on a uh, he's on a journey across the country, is what I was told, filming a documentary, and was on in town, so he called the Pacers up, um, and then Fifty Cent has an alcohol deal that he's a part of, and and as part of that, they've signed an agreement with the Pacers to you know sell it at games and that type of stuff. So that was kind of more of a business. Um, situation, I, I believe, with all that. But uh, to Will Farrell, I'll give him credit. After the game, him and his team uh, were in the media room afterward, and there's probably six, eight of them gather around at the table. It looked like two people were on, uh, you know, conference call through their iPhone, and they were working afterward. But during the game, uh, there was at least one or two cameras filming his every move. He was mic'd up. Um, as as I think you guys talked about on previous shows, he was grabbing the uh, MC mic and, and yelling things to the crowd, which I'm sure they'll use for that documentary. But uh, it, it got a lot of interest from Pacer fans and I think just NBA fans. The one thing that, that I hope, and I have nothing, nothing to base this on, other than just like an intuition. Although Will Ferrell seems to be... Jake wants to make sure he's in the documentary is what that's he's right. about to say. Um, <laughs> not happy with his Hard Knocks appearances. The Will Ferrell's appearance, I think, was not like they. I don't know that the Pacers totally knew what to expect. I don't think, in any way, shape, or form, for the sake of his documentary, that Will Ferrell say took advantage of any situation. But I don't know that there was total transparency as to what exactly this documentary is. And based on like his wardrobe and the things at Walmart. I'm hoping, although I have a little bit of a concern, that this is like a Borat-type thing where he is putting people in situations to make them look bad at the cost of humor, or you know, to make humor at the cost of people looking bad. I hope that wasn't the case with the Pacers, but I'm curious to see what happens. I'll yeah, say, that's I'll, a good I'll point. I, I, yeah, I would agree, and I, I wish I knew more about what he was getting into, but you're right. I mean, for example, we they, he went and inside the team locker room before the game while carrying a beer, which Rick Carlisle referenced and offering it to a player jokingly. But you never know how something like that could be conveyed on the big screen. So, yeah, that's a good point. Scott, before we get any further and talk about tonight and just where the Pacers sit with about 15 games to go, I do want to touch on yesterday. You know, Jake and I were over there along with you, and I thought it was a beautiful tribute um, and a celebration of life to David Benner. And, you know, from Lance Stevenson in the building, I believe you were saying Dan Burke was there after the Sixers had just played a back-to-back. Um, and, and what Reggie Miller shared, you know, Reggie strikes me, and I, I'm pretty sure this is true, like, it's not like Reggie shows up to a lot of, you know, Pacers-centric stuff. I mean, he obviously still has a great love for the franchise he played for th- throughout his career, but, I mean, he's living in California, obviously works for TNT, et cetera, et cetera. Not only was Reggie present yesterday, but you could feel how real and genuine his relationship was with David Benner. I thought that was really cool to see. Yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, you touched on it right there. That's one of the takeaways from all this is it, it, Benner was 
Reggie's touch point to the organization, to which now I'm very curious what it will look like, say, over the next five years and beyond, because if the franchise needed something um, from Reggie or record a video or do anything like that, that was DB. That he, that was his, his touch point with all that. Um, Donnie Walsh is retired. Larry Bird's not around the franchise anymore, things like that. So that was kind of the the last kind of bit of outreach. But, no, yesterday was spectacular. I mean, I was stunned. Every seat was filled. People were standing. Um, you had so many different people, past and present, from, you know, you, had, you mentioned Dan Burke, and he, he even visited once a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it was wanting to visit DB at least one more time. Um, just so many former employees from a travel coordinator to assistant coaches. Like it was just unbelievable to see all the different people uh, David reach. And as part of that, that's what I wrote in uh, as well, how it kind of felt like a giant family reunion coming back for this. Like that's what it was. I think for anyone that was around or had been associated at all, uh, with the Pacers, so I thought it was really well done, and I was impressed impressed with both the ceremony and the turnout. I thought the thing, Scott, that was perhaps David Benner's last big gift to the Pacers is the fact that you had Tyrese Halliburton there, you had Miles Turner there, you had players there that were able to see the solidarity of the franchise and the core principles of the franchise in terms of the unity within the franchise prior to those guys arriving. Not that they're not aware of that, but to kind of instill in them, to your point, this is a family-type feel. I don't know that you get that with the Lakers or the Knicks or the Heat. The fact that there is kind of a bond that happens in Indiana because it's you against the world here. And I thought it was good for those guys to see that on display because it was very present, right? It was very present that there were a lot of people that have a lot of different functions within the franchise that all had a common link. And that was good for the for guys like Tyrese Halliburton to see. And I think those guys absorb that kind of thing. Yeah, that was so well said. I think not beyond the players, um, just anyone here and associated, I think, with the franchise has to fit, has to be, uh, has to have an understanding of what they're getting themselves into, right? And so from the players' standpoint, yeah, it was kind of passing it down uh, along the way. Several of the players, the, one, the players outside of Tyrese that were there had been with Benner for three or four years. So that those I understood. I thought, again, it was telling of Tyrese, the player and human that he is, that he was there. The face of the team was sitting in row one, even though he knew DB very little, that they had been together you know, officially you know, at the end of last year for like maybe two months, and that was it. Even at yesterday's practice, in the middle of asking him questions, he goes, hold on, actually, I got one more thing, and wanted to talk about him because uh, when it happened, when he passed away a week ago – that was when they were in San Antonio and Tyrese was injured, therefore did not talk to the media. So he had not had an opportunity even to speak on this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the governor was there, for example. Like, how many other cities' franchises are eliciting that type of crowd with those type of dignitaries with, you know, I think it was like four or five different PR people from other staffs flying in. Like, he was uh, huge in so many different ways that I'm not sure – I even fully recognized until after the fact. 
Yeah, the head of PR for the NBA gave um, the Benner Family Lifetime Achievement Award for David. The Pacers announced a scholarship going to a uh, someone in a state college here in Indiana, journalism student moving forward in David's honor. So, again, a really special day over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse yesterday. Scott has more, by the way, on Fieldhouse Files and also on our website, 107.5, the fan from yesterday's celebration of life. Uh, shifting gears, Scott, to tonight, 6.30, our coverage will begin. Again, 7 o'clock, it's the Rockets. I don't know if this will be the case for the rest of the season, but I think it's been the case for the past couple of games. Do you think Rick Carlisle has kind of gone to George Hill and Daniel Tice and said, all right, thanks, but we're probably going to keep you at the end of the bench moving forward? Yeah, so when George Hill got here, that kind of began it became the case. Uh, they kind of recognized that and had that understanding. Because Tice like played they- early, and Hill played early a little bit. Tice much more so than, than George. Yeah, so in George Hill's first game, he was available. Of course, he's going to get him in there. And then he started in San Antonio a week ago. Well, that's where his career started. It was against Greg Popovich and company. His wife and two kids live in San Antonio. So that was that was a little bit part of all that, and I think he only played 15 minutes. Now, with Daniel Tice, it was about a week ago, right, right at the start of that road trip when, when Rick and Daniel – had first had a conversation, and I, th- I believe there's been several um, just about this. That you know, it's it's and it's a tough one because think about Daniel. All he's overcome how he wasn't in training camp or participating in training camp, and then he needed this surgery uh, that was I think in early November, and now you know fully healthy, and he was just starting to feel almost back in shape in himself again. Now it's like, all right, we're going to prioritize something different. It's no knock on him, to be clear. It's to have a further understanding on Jalen Smith, on Isaiah Jackson, because I think they need to get some clarity on that going into the offseason. So in turn, while he's available for games, they're going to, he, he's further down now in the depth chart for the remainder of the year, essentially. You know, it seems to me, Scott, I thought it was interesting – and I can't recall which game it was. It was recently. You know, Jalen Smith started giving them some good minutes again after kind of being buried. And Rick Carlisle very subtly alluded to the fact of, like, I really like how Jalen came in and did what was being asked of him. It said, you know, dot, 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 dot. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got the feel that maybe Jalen Smith kind of went into the control chair for a couple of weeks and just that maybe – I don't know Jalen Smith, so I don't. I don't want this to be an attack on him personally, but I felt like maybe there was the the insinuation there that Jalen Smith was starting to play a little bit for Jalen Smith more than for the Pacers, and so they just kind of reset the deck a little bit, and that he, as a professional, responded back with the way that they wanted him to in terms of a team concept of where his minutes went and his role. Uh, is that me way overthinking it? No, I think it's even bigger than that. It's even more so the second unit as a whole. It's even bigger the the, the young guys. Um, that's been the message that Rick's been emphasizing for many weeks now. And the main target of all that has been Benedict Matherin. Um, you know, we all know everybody's clamoring for him to start to get more minutes to always finish games, whereas he mostly does. Um, but several times, Rick, you know, for example, has talked about, "Hey, look, we know he can get twenty points." We know he can do this and that, but we're asking more. And so it all goes back to the, the same general conversation with all these guys is if we're going to have accountability, we have to enforce it. 
we need guys to play unselfishly. We need guys to be looking after the team and what's best interest while they're out there rather than their individual. And I think a lot of that, in fairness, too, how many times has the second unit got into the game? They're down 15, and they got to do something, right? And, and you know, because the Pacers have been the worst first-quarter team in the, the league. Now it's gotten a little bit better. But I, I think there's also that natural instinct to be like, all right, well, nothing else is working. Let me try to do this, and let me try to do that. And in turn, as a collective, it hasn't been working uh, as nearly as much as the head coach and, and his staff have been wanting. But for Jalen, this is a difficult situation because all offseason – he planned and had trained for playing the four. Then they realized after 27 games, you know what, that's not best for the team. So then he has to sh- shift back to the center spot, which then falls deeper on the depth chart. So he's really had inconsistent minutes since mid-December um, and is just starting to maybe feel a little bit like himself again. The biggest thing he talked about um, – about this struggle and being in and out of the lineup is how he's a big overthinker. So maybe he's overthinking it and just needs to simplify when he's out there. Scott, last one from me, and it's not something, again, that I've been clamoring for, but I I do think it makes sense at this point of the season, and and you brought it up, is putting Benedict Mathern in the starting lineup next to Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, in a way, in telling George Hill, and especially Daniel Tice, all right, you're going to sit you are kind of saying, all right, we're committing a bit to the future here in the final 16 games. I look at it and think it's a nice opportunity to put Matherin alongside the guy that he's going to be paired with moving forward so you can get a little bit of a head start on any potential growing pains or just get them used to it. Because you know, if you go out and find a nice piece next year, or this offseason in the draft, you could be a playoff team next year. And I think a key part of that would be Getting Mather and Halliburton used to playing together, again, kind of getting some of those those kinks out, that to me seems like a good idea right now. Why don't you think they've gone there? I go back to what, if you taking Rick of what he's shared all season, is he, he doesn't want to skip processes. He, doesn't want, he wants Ben to get the full NBA experience for whatever that means uh, completely. Um, and in doing so, earn his way a little bit. Maybe that is part of it. Obviously, the the real number one thing, too, is you have Buddy Heald in the lineup. And are you going to – I think if you transition him, first of all, you're not going to tell Buddy he can't play. Uh, he, he's a guy that just does not miss games, and him and Ben are the only two players not to miss any games this season. What about that so, third spot, though? I feel like they've kind of rotated – that third starting spot, if you want to call it, in the backcourt. In terms of Nemhard? Yeah, Nemhard, yeah, has probably been the most frequent one. Duarte's had a little bit of a brief experience there. Yeah, the main thing with that is Nemhard's defense. And he's kind of the such a great um, high IQ, and, and verse, he's a versatile defender. And so that that's the primary reason he's out there. I don't disagree that, yeah, and maybe that's what you try to figure out, is what does it look like with Nemhard and Matherin and Halliburton out there, or, or is it Buddy instead of Nemhard? Those sort of things, a little bit of ex- experimentation. Um, it's definitely a good point. I just think it seems like they really like where the second unit is at right now, and uh, he even noted the fact that they the bench scoring leads the league. Uh, that was something that was noted yesterday, for example. But, yeah, I'd be all for trying different things right now and being able to really capitalize on these final 16 games and getting something out of them so that you have you know, some numbers that you can play with and, and, and some chemistry that you can build on going into the offseason. Scott, Kevin put a huge wager at the beginning of the year on the over-under <laughs> for the Pacer total wins at 30. 
They're sitting at 29. This is his kids' college education fund. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, plural on kids there, yeah. Can, mm-hmm. can Kevin start looking at private schools tomorrow morning? <laughs> I, I, I think so, because the next three games, I think it's almost a lock that you're going to get. Well, you need just one more, right? Just one. I mean, how about tonight, Scott? Yeah. They're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Jake was yeah. asking earlier in the show, that's got to be the biggest spread of the year for the Pacers as terms of fate. I know that's not something you're totally locked in on, but I can't think of a game this year where they've been that big of a favorite. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. And Houston's playing awful. Like, it, they have not played a fun brand of basketball for months here. Uh, you could see why Eric Gordon wanted to get out of there. Um, <laughs> they they are completely rebuilding, and then who knows what they'll even look like next year. But, yeah, tonight would be certainly very favorable. Kevin Porter Jr., their second leading scorer, is not even going to play, I don't think. So um, it's very advantageous. And if it does not happen, you got two over the weekend up in Detroit. So Kevin Porter Jr. is the classic Jake Quarry definition of a 2025 guy. Destined to there score 20 is. a game on a 25-win team his entire career. Do they have Kenyon Martin's kid? They do. That's, yeah. I don't know about you, Scott, but when I saw Kenyon Martin's kid was in the NBA, that was one of those, man, I'm getting mm-hmm. old. Just wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, too, I see, see Jameer Nelson's kid, I think, is in college. Jameer Nelson was one of the best players that I worked with as a ball boy. He always tipped us so well. Really? And so I'll always be rooting for this kid. He's a Delaware guy, I think, his kid, right? I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. But Former I Notre Dame point guard Martin News update on <laughs> Scott, uh, it was good running into you, I, albeit not the circumstances we wanted. But it was good seeing you yesterday. Um, great stuff and covering that and looking forward to the coverage tonight. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, good to see you both yesterday. 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's the 9 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5107.5, The Fan. A lot of good guests to talk to here before we round out the show on a sun-splashed Thursday morning. Um, and plenty of talk, Kevin. There is no off-season when it comes to covering the NFL. Man, when you say sun-splashed, I've said this to you before, I think that final Sunday in May. You you say that early in a race. Hey, George. You will drop that line. Sun-splashed here on the backstretch, right? Uh, That's right. I do. I told you, like... I always think about, because I listen to old Indy 500s, like from the 50s, and I'm, you know, if there is one person 50 years from now that's listening to a race from 2023, I want them to be able to. I want to be able to try to tell them what it looked like. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's really cool. A little peek behind the curtain here. Um, Scotty J, our great, great producer here, he was asked us to do some voiceovers, pretty much kind of pass the torch to the IndyCar radio network, the IMS radio network, um, with those uh, six, 500s and 60s. Am I saying that right? 560. Uh, that's what we uh, air, you know, quite frequently in the month of May, and particularly that Saturday right before the race. I'm like, man, that's. I'm pretty, honored to do that. Pretty special to be able yeah, to do that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty cool. really looking forward to doing some of that and always enjoy listening back to some of those old 500s. We'll see how fast the car is for the Colts next week as the NFL's version of March Madness hits free agency again. Begins officially Wednesday, but Monday at noon is when you're going to start to see some of these deals trickle out to talk more about that. The most sane member of the Colts beat from the Anderson Harold Bolton. He is the great George Bremer. George, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We are doing wonderful 
on this Thursday morning. I will begin here, and I do want to get into some of the actual like free agents and kind of debate some of the names in-house for the Colts. But let's begin with just the overall approach, the overall philosophy. It's been an annual question with Chris Ballard. Do you see him spending more? I think when he spent in week one of free agency, you can point to a lot of hits. Uh, but it hasn't happened too often. How, if any, do you think 4-12-1 and and the lowest point of his tenure will alter his approach next week at all? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously they're, they're coming off of a terrible season and you know I think he's probably under more pressure than he's been at, at any point in his reign here so far the other part of this though I think that could play in is just the new coaching staff I mean anytime you have a new head coach you look around the league usually there's a lot of new faces it just sort of goes hand in hand whether that's big money deals is a whole other thing but you know you would figure former chargers former eagles uh, all those guys will be in play because they know Shane Sykin's system uh, and you just, it seems to be the way things go, you know, across the league. If they spend more, George, next week, and again, maybe just make a fewer bigger deals, will that tell you more about, again, 4 12 and 1, roster turnover is going to be immense? Or will it say to you, they know they're going to trade up in the draft and therefore they feel like they need to support the rookie quarterback a little bit more in free agency than potentially in the draft? Yeah, I think that's a big factor of the draft. Also, you know, if you do trade up in the draft, you're going to use a lot of assets to do that. And so it's going to be even more important that you get free agents in here because you're not going to have those picks, you know, to fill those same roles. So uh, I think it's it's such an intriguing offseason in general. Uh, and with the draft, you know, just being fascinating right now with all the permutations that could happen there in the top five. And I think all of that feeds into free agency. And then you throw onto that 4-12-1 and one and the new head coach. Uh, the, only, the only thing I think that, that takes a little bit of the starch out of free agency this year is they don't, right now they don't have quite as much money as they've had in the past, but there are some moves they could make in the next few days to clear that up as well. Do you believe, George, when you look at the Colts cap, right now $12 million roughly, it's going to go up as we talked about, assuming that Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are – thanked for their service and moved along that that number goes up a little bit but do you believe that that is money that that the Colts would like to kind of distribute evenly throughout or is there one player or position where they say come hell or high water we're going to spend the predominant amount to secure this position or this player yeah I mean obviously historically they're going to spread it out from what we've seen I do wonder about Orlando Brown just because that's another one of these positions that left tackle, that there's been a little bit of a turnstile there. Now, a lot of that depends on how they feel about Bernard Raymond coming off of a strong finish to last year. Uh, but you could, in theory, bring in Brown, move Raymond to right guard, you know, really solidify that offensive line, at least on paper. Aside from that, maybe a quarterback would be one of the bigger spins. But you figure that's going to be backup money uh, because that person's not going to be promised probably anything more than coming in here with a chance to compete with the rookie. Outside of that, corners can be expensive. You know, maybe you go that route. It still just feels like, you know, if you're in Vegas and you're putting your own money down, you would think it's going to be more of a spread it out, bring in multiple guys kind of a situation. It's the great George Bremer covers the Colts for the Anderson Anderson Herald Bolts, and we're talking some free agency with him. Again, the fireworks should begin starting 
on Monday. All right, George, in-house free agents, about five to six starters. You would throw Chase McLaughlin into the starting level group as well. Who are your no-brainers, this guy you need to bring back? I, I think Chase might be the only one that fits that particular label. I mean, when you look at you know just the job that he did last year, the, the number of 50-yard kicks he made alone, and the issues they've had at that position the last few years, that one should be almost automatic. Just bring him back and, and get that taken care of. Outside of that, I'm not sure there's anybody else. There's some guys that they would like to have back, I'm sure, more than others. But I don't know if there's anybody else that just you know just go ahead and, and fill in those numbers, and, and here they are. Yeah, I, I would agree there. The, the next person that, that I want to go with is Yannick Ngakwe. And George, I think if I were to say to you last year, the Colts would have a defensive end in his 20s, 27 years old, play 15 games and have nine and a half sacks, you would say, if you were Chris Ballard, where do I sign up? Like Those are numbers from an age, availability, and sack number standpoint. They have not sniffed, really, at the defensive end position in quite some time. Having said that, we know consistent pressure late in games were an issue. We know he's not necessarily a three-down guy. Where do you stand on the Ngakwe free agency debate? Yeah, you're going to throw in his familiarity with Gus Bradley as well. Sure. And, you know, his history there. Uh, but I I think Odangbo complicates this a little bit, honestly. He came on at the end of the year, and they drafted Odangbo and Pay with the idea that they were eventually going to be those bookend kind of pass rush guys. Given the the salary cap situation, the way it is, like we just discussed, you might lean more towards that. You know, bring Tyquan Lewis back on a a really team friendly deal, uh, and let those kind of be the top three guys at that position. It's similar to what they did two years ago, and that backfired. So that might change their thinking. Uh, but when you look at you know what they they talked about on draft day when they brought Pay and Odengbo in here, maybe their time has come. Aren't they different types, Pay and Adangbo, though, than Ngakwe when you think about that, that Leo position, which Gus Bradley wants as more of kind of a smaller, just pure rusher? Oh, absolutely. Very much different types. Uh, but I think they feel confident in Odangbo over there, which is odd. Because I think when when Bradley first got here, that was one of the big questions. Which side will Odangbo play? And he said early on he'd been working out at Leo, and you kind of think you don't fit that mold at all historically, but he played well over there. Uh, and I do wonder how much money comes into play here. I mean, again, like Jake said, you're talking about at the moment, 12 million. And really, if they even get up into like the 40 range, uh, that's going to be a pretty good haul for them this year. Uh, with all the other things that they're going to be doing, that's my biggest question. Where does Ngakwe fit in with, with all the other things that, that need to happen this offseason? And by the way, Leo, for those that are unfamiliar, I mean, left end, right? Left side. Yeah. And basically. Think like I mean, just a little smaller body type and basically out there to rush the passer. Right. Um, He's in that wide nine or two. So you've got him like way out there. Yeah, way outside. He's usually a speed guy. George, as we enter between the draft and free agency, if the Colts have guys that, that they've got to take a look at that either due to health or whatever reason have not had a lot of reps. Kevin, feel free to weigh in on this. In talking to coaches in the NFL or in talking to Chris Ballard or just in covering it in general, what position would you say takes the longest amount of time or the most reps before you can truly, legitimately evaluate a player? What player? What position takes the longest 
to be able to say definitively that you know what you have or do not? Yeah, outside of quarterback, which is kind of the answer. All well, the obviously, with, yeah, but with all these, um, I think you hear a lot with receiver. You know, they, they just they put a lot on their plate, um, especially in the, in the offense they've been running the last few years. We'll see how close Steichen's scheme is to what Frank Reich did, uh, but with all the blocking responsibilities that they have, in addition to the routes that they have to run. Uh, it just you've heard a lot over the years that that's a really tough position for them to transition to. And you really haven't seen a rookie come in and make a splash here. I mean, it's happened other places in the league, uh, but I can't remember the last time a rookie wide receiver walked in and was good to go from day one. And I think that's, you know, that's where the Paris Campbell situation, I think, is interesting because you don't really have another slot receiver on this roster right now. But you don't know exactly what you've got between the injuries and difficulty at that position. So I think that's going to be one of the more complicated situations of the offseason. Yeah, I'd throw in tight end, especially if you're looking for like a three down or even defensive end. Like if you're looking for somebody to impact on run and pass downs, I think that's very difficult. I think it's difficult from a physicality standpoint, and I think it's difficult from a mental standpoint. Again, George Bremer's with us. Anderson Harold Bolton, as I've said all along, he's the most sane person on the Colts beat. He's perfect to have on when we're debating some Colts in-house free agents. You brought up Paris Campbell. Let's shift gears to linebacker. Bobby O'Karake and EJ Speed, two Chris Ballard draft picks in 2019. I think both have been good draft picks in their own individual ways. How do you view those two, considering what the Colts have already paid at linebacker? Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard to, to afford a character. I think everybody's kind of aware of that and understanding that situation. EJ Speed, there may be a better chance in retaining him, but he, it sounds like he's going to have quite a bit of a market as well. Uh, particularly Cleveland seems to be really interested in him. And with Bubba Ventrone going over there and EJ's versatility on special teams, I'm sure that's that'll be a really interesting spot for him as well. The other factor with the linebackers is, you could argue that's where Ballard has done his best work in the draft. I mean, from Shaq Leonard to Zaire Franklin, Matthew Adams, Speed, Okereke, they seem to get really good linebackers all over the, the place throughout you know any round. And so I think he'd probably be pretty confident of any position that that's one that they can fill through the draft no matter what picks they end up having. So that I think that plays into that as well. George, what's the reaction going to be if the Colts don't take a quarterback? <laughs> pitchforks i think um it'll be chaos i mean those it's kind of like an expectation the they set though isn't scenario. it i mean isn't it, it aren't we kind of going off what they've they basically i mean they've they've all but said they're taking a the quarterback right yeah i mean i think shane Sykin even did say something about a rookie quarterback during, during the combine uh, i know Chris Ballard hasn't backed away from that, which, you know, normally he's the first one to, to tell us, you know, y'all are, are saying this, but you got to look at it from my standpoint. And, yeah, and the owner flat out said it too. So uh, I think, yeah, everything is pointing towards a rookie quarterback coming in here. If it doesn't happen, there'll probably be a revolt. Yeah, it seems like, by the way, that was a great y'all that you threw in there for, for Chris Ballard there. So good work on that front. Um George, when I look at free agency versus the draft and I look at positions of need, free agency, I think, interior offensive line, I'm very fascinated to see what happens with Ryan Kelly. As I look towards the draft, I think kind of a sneaky non-quarterback need is 
cornerback. I mean, Stephon Gilmore had a great season last year, but he is going into a contract year and he's not getting any younger. Depending on what happens with Kenny Moore, that could add to the cornerback debate. I know times we don't often debate like, okay, positions of need in free agency versus positions of need in the draft. But if I'm looking at a couple, I would say corner, more draft. I'd say interior offensive line, more free agency. What say you on that? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. A corner is, I think, a sneaky, really important position. Like you mentioned, Gilmore is is aging and and it'll be in the final year of his deal. Don't really know what the situation is with Kenny Moore uh, and how you know solid they are there. And then Isaiah Rogers, you know, he was only a part time player most of the year. Now I think he's got a ton of potential, but you know, how solid do you really feel with the depth chart there? And beyond that, you don't really have a lot of experience or a lot of guys that you feel incredibly comfortable plugging in. So cornerback might even be a sign one draft one position this year. I've always felt like in the time that I've the years that I've watched the Colts, to me it seems as though corner is the position that has always had the shortest shelf life. They've had some really good corners, but either because they left to go elsewhere or they just once that I don't know guys it seems to me that corner is the one position that once the wheels start to go it, it's over I, there's just no I think you've seen it recently yeah. whether it's Xavier Rhodes or Vontae Davis Vontae Davis is a good example they yep. had great moments but and it just, yeah. just goes away you can never cornerbacks and offensive linemen man phone chargers and sunglasses you could never have too many because they're going to oh, break down and you got to get new ones was it Chuck Pagano used to call all corners Ferraris? Like it was the mm-hmm. same kind of, you know, so much maintenance on them, and, and it didn't take much to put them on the shelf. But, you know, when they're out there, they're, they're high performance. Uh, there's no doubt. You can't have enough of them. You can't have enough pass rushers. I think those, you know, those three positions, including the offensive line, they're on your wish list every offseason. Yeah, especially with how the NFL game has evolved. Would corners, you rather have a Lamborghini sure. or a Ferrari? <laughs> Boy, I'm probably just more in the efficiency manner. So just whatever's more efficient of those two. I mean, the Ferraris are cool. Maseratis are cool. Ferrari is probably where I would lean on that one. George, last one for me. I don't think this is going to happen, but considering what we saw at the franchise tag earlier in the week, I'm curious. We saw Saquon Barkley get the franchise tag. We saw Josh Jacobs. We saw Tony Pollard. Those are three really good running backs. Would it make sense for the Colts to explore that for Jonathan Taylor and hold <laughs> off on the long-term deal? which I think is coming his way this offseason, whether I agree with it or not. Final year of his rookie deal is coming up, so he would play out this 2023 season. You would then put the franchise tag on him for the 2024 season, and then you'd reevaluate two years down the road. Some thoughts on that. You still support the rookie quarterback for two years. Taylor Stone is prime. He's still hungry for that second contract. But you make sure you kind of back off and don't commit the big second contract to him just yet. Again, I don't think the Colts will do it, but do you think that's something they should entertain or at least think about? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that they will go that route, but when you look at that franchise tag number for the running backs, it's it's really enticing. There's a reason you saw three of them get tagged this offseason. And when you look at the long-term deals, uh, especially in recent history, they haven't turned out well for the team. You know, There, there aren't many you can point to that the team's happy that they made that, that contract. So um, I think it's a really good idea. I mean, you can tag him twice, I believe, without really you know going into the big money. And I think it's something that it's tough because you want to be careful with your relationship with the player. Taylor, important, you know, in particular, is really important to this franchise. 
But from a financial standpoint, it makes all the sense of the world. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's something that it's a conversation you have to have, in my opinion. George, great stuff, man. Really enjoyed running, running into you, seeing you last week at the Combine. And uh, I guess the fireworks will begin. We'll see how active they are. But it'll start on Monday for the entire NFL. Great stuff, George. Thanks a lot, guys.